Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. Amen. We're going to look at Luke 9, verse 62 for our opening verse, and then we can be seated. My title today is Keep Plowing. Keep Plowing. I want to encourage someone today. Could we all be honest with ourselves today? I should be since I'm up here, right? But can we all just be honest with ourselves today? Could we take a look within ourselves? Could we be challenged by the word of God, by his presence today? Luke 9, verse 62, it says, And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's pray right now. Lord, I thank you for your word, God. I thank you for the opportunity to be in your house and to be in your presence, God. I ask you to help us today, God. Be honest with ourselves. Look within our lives, God. Help us to uh, confront and face the challenges and the adversity, God, that may be against us, Lord, because you are able, Lord. You are able, God. Can we raise our voices today, God? You reign over every situation, Lord, and I will not be defeated when you are on my side, God, because you will not be defeated. Lord, I give you praise, God. Give clarity today, God. Anointing and strength, Lord. Let your presence move in this house. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Keep plowing that. We've got a prop here today. Wow, it's, it's real. And it's as heavy as it looks. I thought about, you know, I, I think through movies and songs sometimes. I'm quite the musician, Brother Andrew Latest. Sometimes he asks me what song to do. And, but, you know, I was thinking, should we have the gladiator music playing Pastor got this overseas, right, Sister Pazley, or Yeah, yeah, that would have been interesting getting through security. <laughs> I'm sure he had it shipped in some way. But I, I was just thinking as I was starting my thoughts through this sermon, and I was just thinking about the journey that we've walked, that the people of God have walked um, throughout time and through in, re- in relationship with God. See, I've already scared one person. I'm sorry, I'm going to stay right up here. And when I think in the Old Testament, man, there's just a way they took care of things. Population control, right? I mean, there was just a way that they did things and the way that they took care of things. And in 1 Samuel 14, I mean, we know all the battles and different things that are fought. And that's a rotator cuff problem, too. I'm just wondering how they... But here in in this story, we see we have Jonathan and his armor bearer. This is in 1 Samuel and in the beginning of chapter 14. And he, he tells his armor bearer, he said, hey, let's go over there where the Philistines are encamped, but there's two cliffs, right? He's talking about these two cliffs. You can leave the verses up there. I don't, I don't know if I'll use them actually, but he gets over there and he's in there. It's a great story, right? When it's a great story, you don't even have to read the lines. And I promise I won't add anything to it. If I do, you can see right there. We'll just be in agreement. And, you know, they get over there. There's only one way to, there's only one way to get up to him is, is climbing these cliffs. 
And so Jonathan says, first of all, his armor bearer, it says young armor bearer. He says, I'm with you, whole heart. I'm thinking like, all right, well, that had to gain some confidence here. And the interesting part was King Saul is not close by, and Jonathan doesn't ask, hey, can I go pick a fight? Right? So this, I mean, the suspense is building in the beginning of this story. I mean, I'm locked in, and I'm thinking, why is there not a movie? You could do a movie over this these 13 verses right here. And so he goes, he goes over and he says, okay. And then I wonder if the, I, hey, that works out pretty good. And, and I wonder if the armor bearer is still with him in this moment, but he goes, in fact, let's climb on the cliff so they can see us. So the element of surprise is gone. There is no element of surprise at, at, any, at, at any point on this part. So he says, and we're climbing up. We'll make sure that they can see us. And if they say, come to us, we'll know that God has delivered. Remember, there's two of them. There's two of them, right? So here, I better be careful, too. Where are the medic, where's the medical team at? Just stay close by. And so, you know, they're, so they, they climb up. Sure enough, the Philistines see them, and they start to make fun of them. There they are. They're climbing out of the holes where they were hiding. That's what they tell them. So I'm thinking like, wow. I mean, even though I'd be mad, I don't know if I'm still going to take on an army, right, at this point. So he says, okay, that's what we needed to hear. So they climb up the rest of the cliff and head over there. And it says, for whatever reason, this is just what they give you, right? But he says, within a half an acre, they slay 20 men before God just stirs up a bunch of disruption. And the rest of the 600 men of Israel come running over, but wow, I mean, you climb a cliff to pick a fight and you don't tell the rest of the guys what's going on. There was just a way, there's a different mindset there. We're not talking things over. We're not sitting and having a meeting first. Hey, let's run over and let's see how many guys we can kill before the rest of the group jumps in. Man, that sounds like a party. I don't, sometimes I just want to be transformed back in, like just for one battle. You know, I better put this down. This is a safe place over here by Brother Greg. Brother Greg used to hold that during the drama. And no one was hurt all those times. That's why we're going to give it back to him. So, you know, then we transition a little bit. Let me fast forward. It's hard to break the Bible up in these three parts, but I'm going to try to for the sake of time. Um, And, you know, and Jesus comes onto the scene and he's peace, right? He's preaching peace. And so we've definitely made a transition. Yet Peter, he's like, he wants to hold on to the old ways just for a moment. And here they are in the garden. He comes flying through and he cuts off an ear, right? And Jesus is like, no, 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 Peter, we, we're not doing this this way anymore. And I'm sure he's thinking, well, that's no fun, Jesus. But, and puts the ear back on, okay? Now moving forward one more step, we see then all in the New Testament, there's we don't really see any more wars and different things in the New Testament, right? So we're moving forward, and, and we have here now the fight has changed into an internal battle, right? It's the internal battle. The army of the Lord looks a little different. In fact, instead of the army of the Lord, we're called disciples, right? So it's transition. Look, a couple guys just looked at me like this, like no swords, no fighting, no bloodshed, like, yeah, it's true, mm-hmm. So, but if we're honest with ourselves today, it's, it's difficult enough, right? So Luke 9, 51 through 62. Look at, let's look at a couple verses here. 
And so this is, this is Jesus talking to a group that have gathered around him, his disciples, and then people that want to be disciples. So we've, trans, we've transformed this thought. Here we are. And it says here in 51, And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. Here's those disciples again. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? All right. They're back on. They're back on the right page again, I think. So, but he says, no, but he turned and rebuked them and said, ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. Verse 56, for the son of man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village and it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee wheresoever, whithersoever thou goest. And he said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds have the air have birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Not this is not for what? Not for the faint in heart. This is not for the weak. Right? He's saying this is this isn't easy still, but this is this is not as easy as you guys just think. We're not you're not gonna just jump in here and follow me. Verse fifty nine says, and he said Unto another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury the dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of heaven. The next verse, 61, and another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my home, at my house. And Jesus said unto him, no man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus isn't being heartless here. He's trying to make a point. Jesus is wanting what? Total dedication. He's not, he doesn't want a half-hearted commitment. He's, today I'm telling you and I'm encouraging us that he's looking for a committed church. Everybody say amen. He wants us to put our other things aside and he wants us to have instant action. God knows our motives and how we're moved in the moment. The challenge and commitment that we feel on Sunday, the weight of what we feel in the presence of God doesn't have the same weight it does every time come Monday, does it? And that's just the one day away. When God is directing and leading us, we must not delay and we must not take our hands from the plow. Someone needs to be encouraged today to finish plowing the field that you've started. Just want to let that settle for a moment as we begin this thought here as we're going to keep going through this. What field are you in right now? What challenge have you faced or are you facing to not allow you to finish plowing that field? In terms of as you start to think about this, now I'm going to tell a story, but there's a story of my great uncle Lee. Now, I have a, a rich heritage on both sides of my family, and I'm, I'm very thankful. I just tend to, for some reason, have a couple odd stories on the Henson side. Um, and my cousin Jason's already kind of shaking his head. And I mean, it starts with the names, right? Uncle Bullweevil. 
That's all I knew him by forever. I didn't know he had a, a different name. Aunt Nelda and Uncle Clovis, Aunt Melba, Uncle Oscar. You know, I just, and I, you just keep going through, and people are like, are these all nicknames? I'm like, no, these are, these are their real names. But Uncle Bullweevil, I finally asked later in life, I said, how, how did he get that name? He said, well, when he was 18, 20 years old, he left Tennessee to go make a fortune in Texas. I'm assuming something with oil, right? And six months later, he showed back up. He said, Lee, they said, Lee, why'd you come back? He said, there was nothing but bow weevils everywhere. We got a, a picture of it. I think we got a picture. So these bow weevils were eating up, I guess, the, the cotton plants and stuff down there. But they were really infested at the time he was there. But for whatever reason, I mean, he's down there to make a fortune. Whatever reason, that it was enough. And so for the rest of his life till he was 97, he got the name Bull Weevil. So be careful why you switch jobs or what the reason is. At least make something up good that's going to be a name, right, attached to, attached to what you're uh, going to be called the rest of your life. But the, the other part of this is my great-grandpa, um, which I don't, I don't know his first name because all they ever told me was Pappy, Pappy Henson, had a farm boys, and they would help him farm this land. Well, next to them was the Armstrong farm. But they lived in a city up north, factory Armstrong pies. So they like like a hostess pie, right? So they had these pies. Well, they, since they couldn't be there all the time, Mr. Armstrong would hire out some of the Henson boys to farm the property. And so this was the old school with a, a walk-behind plow with a mule or a horse, for the sake of my story, I'll say it was only one horse, probably. Only one mule makes it sound a little bit better. And oddly enough, years later, my uncle, my dad's brother, he bought some land from the Armstrong estate to hunt on down there. And when he had bought this land down there, everybody kept telling him this story about his uncle Lee, Uncle Bullweevil. And everybody kept talking about how he was the only one to ever plow this one field, this really large field, and nobody else they hired out, nobody else that in the Armstrong family, no one else in the Henson family that would do it, only Uncle Bullweevil was able to plow this one field. So after years on the property hearing this story, as Uncle Bullweevil got older in age, and so this is maybe his in his uh, early 90s, my uncle finally said, hey, Uncle Lee said, I, everyone says you're legendary about plowing this field. Who would have thought, right, when you're thinking of things to be legendary about, plow, you plowed a field, right? He's the only one to plow this field in one day. And he said, how, how, how did you do that? Like, what, why is that so legendary? Or, and he just said it, it was a big field. Nobody else ever done it. But bottom line, I just never stopped. I never stopped. I started plowing soon as the sun came up, and I plowed till it was done. Seems really simple, but why didn't anybody else do it? I just never stopped. I never stopped plowing till it was done. Is anyone plowing a field today that seems impossible? Anybody plowing a field that just seems too big to get done with the resources that you have? But sitting here today, we know that with God, we know that with God, anything is possible. With God on our side, that we're going to be able to move through it. But it becomes overwhelming for us when we're looking 
in life. And sometimes there's nothing more overwhelming. Let me just preach where I'm living for a second, if you'll allow me. When you've got some physical pain that you're facing in life. I'm hoping I get some amens here. But anybody ever had any back pain? All right. Yeah, raise your hands. This is a moment to really let it out. (laughs) How about anybody ever had a toothache? Hmm. Anybody ever had a tooth pulled? Yeah, look at that. We're about to have revival. Kidney stones. Anybody ever had kidney stones? Man, we're moving on to a cloud of witnesses already. What about some foot pain? There's nothing that'll stop. Plantar fasciitis, maybe? And if you're thinking, what is that? Anybody that's had it knows exactly what it is. How about some neck pain? I see some neck surgeries out there. Elbow. Elbow's a weird one, but, man, that'll really put a damper on things. Uh, Carpal tunnel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, people are holding it like this. Yep, right here. (laughs) Gallbladder. Everybody said, woo. (laughs) That's because you couldn't figure out what it was when you first had the pain. (laughs) Everybody thought they were having a heart attack at first. Pancreas. I mean, not a common one. It's not a loved organ, is it, Brother Nathan? There's a song for that. And then there's just earache. Earache will, uh, I've been deaf in one of my ears for a couple of days because of of, an ear problem. But, you know, we, we go through this body pain sometimes. And, of course, we all think it's unnecessary. It's unnecessary, but... We, we have these physical things sometimes that will really bring us to our knees. Or I know this past time with my kidney stones, nine days of trying to let this kidney stone pass. And when I say let it pass, that was, they wouldn't do the surgery, right? And I was just like, I, I don't know, I think we're, this field's not getting plowed. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, but at, at one point, you're just kind of thinking, okay, God, what have I done? What do I need to repent for I mean, I was to that point, like my back is hurting from my surgery, the kidney stones are rolling every day, and I'm like, well, I'm hoping that they're rolling, and I'm just like, I, what did I do, God, because I'll, re- I'll repent, I'll make it right, right now, I'll, I'll drive anywhere, I'll go talk to anyone, but I mean, we get to that point, and there's nothing like physical pain that kind of does, does that to us, because it starts to do what, bleed into our emotions, it starts to bleed into other areas of our life, even affecting us spiritually. Now, God does move and work on these times, but there are other times where God is just saying in general, right? We remember the story of Job. He looks down and says, have you seen my servant, Anthony? Have you seen him? You want to, would you like to consider him? And the adversity just begins to reign in life. But we... But we want to do what? We have to make sure that we are developing godly habits to express what God's grace has done in us. If we're truly in walk in relationship with God, when we face adversity, when we face these times, what's going to show from our lives should be what God is working and doing in us. It's not a question of being saved from hell, but the question is, is my life and being saved showing the life of Jesus and that it also might be manifested in my life? I want God to do a work. 
And God wants us to do a work. This is not just about being saved and going to heaven. There was a further commandment. There was a further plea that he made saying to do what? Go and teach. Go and preach. Go beyond outside yourselves. Once you have received this information, once I have set you up. And it's adversity that makes us exhibit his life in our mortal flesh. So on this path, while we're doing this, that's where we tend to get caught up sometimes, but it's in that, it's in that adversity that his life begins to exhibit itself. So my question for us today, or one of my questions is, is my life exhibiting the work of God? Or is my life showing the distance I have in my relationship with him? Is my life exhibiting the work of God, or does it just show the distance or the space? The only thing that enables me to push through adversity is that confidence in him. Anybody have a testimony here? I know Brother Anthony preached about that a couple weeks ago. The only thing that helps me push through is that adversity. Sometimes it's just the Holy Ghost. Anybody have the Holy Ghost? Sometimes it's just the firm foundation that my relationship has been built on in his presence, in his time with his work, and every time that I walk in this house. Maybe it's just the fact that he's the mighty God and I know that he reigns like we just sang. Maybe it's because we've called on him as father, as prince of peace, as my provider. What is it that enables you? What is it that helps you push through in that moment? What is it that God has been or is to you. And when we let God be evident and when we let God show himself through us, then we're following the will and the call of God. But as he told those disciples that wanted to be his disciples, it's not always a bed of roses. This is not always an easy path to walk. So in the middle of adversity, will you say, Lord, I am delighted to obey you in this? Lord, I'm going to keep walking this path that you gave me, even though it doesn't seem like this is all working out. You got something that you're thinking about at this point? There's definitely times, right, whether how great or how small the task that we've been given in the kingdom of God or in our ministry, when the focus isn't just, I just want to make it to heaven, but when the focus also becomes, I want to do a work. I want to do a work for Christ and on this path. So will you say, Lord, I'm delighted to obey you in this? Then we'll see if his presence doesn't surround us. When you're in the middle of that adversity and you begin to lift your hands and you begin to sing that song, when you begin to say those titles of what God is to you, doesn't his presence surround you? Doesn't he pick you up and he carry you? Doesn't he begin to provide for you in that situation? Amen. God said, Abraham, lay Isaac down on the altar. The promise that he had waited for for so long. Lay Isaac down on the altar. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19, we kind of see as this story is commented on. It says, by faith, Abraham went when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall the seed be called. Then in faith, he did what? He laid him down. He obeyed in this moment. And he did it doing what? Accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. So our circumstance, 
are the means by which God exhibits his glory and his power. Without that moment of Abraham obeying, there is no Hebrews 11 with Abraham. It is the one thing that we choose to, or it's the one thing to choose adversity. Anybody ever put yourself in a difficult situation and you know only you have put yourself there? And we probably don't want to share that here with anybody today either, do we? Right? So there's, there's, it's different when we put ourselves in adversity. It's different when we put ourselves in a difficult spot. But it's quite another to do what? When we enter into adversity through the orchestration of the circumstances by God's sovereignty. When all of a sudden something else has come to us and only God, the creator of the universe, has molded and shaped this situation that has come to us and it's the path we're walking because God had said, have you seen my servant? And if God puts you into adversity, he is adequately sufficient to do what? Supply your needs. If God's put that, if God's sovereignty has put you down a path, has put a challenge, has detoured your life in a way you would have never thought it could go, God's going to provide for you. Philippians 4.19 tells us, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So we know what Abraham did, but what happened? In Genesis 22, 15 through 18, it says, And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time, and he and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, because of your faith, because you laid down the promise that I gave you, because you were willing to say, Okay, God, you've orchestrated this, and I'm going to obey And hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast, everyone say, obeyed, obeyed my voice. I'm speaking to someone who's desperate today. Maybe you weren't even thinking about this because you've been living with this so long. Maybe you came in with that pain or maybe you came in wearing that situation and you put it on just like you do every day and you walked right out the door with it again, knowing this is just part of my life. How do you believe that this situation or circumstance has come to you? Because how you believe it's come to you will change your perspective and how you look at it and what solutions you think there are. Can you give up, can you give everything up to God and believe he'll supply all your needs? Are you believing that every day if you're putting that right back on and walking out the same way? 2 Corinthians 4 verses 8 through 10 says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. God says, we're not distressed. We are perplexed, but in despair. God says, we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Paul is saying what? Hey, keep plowing. Keep plowing. We're all going to face this. We're facing it here in the New Testament. You're going to keep facing it today. Keep plowing. Keep plowing. Keep your hand 
on the plow. Verse 10 says, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also Jesus of Jesus might be made manifest in your body. Let the life of Christ show through your life as you face adversity. Let the life of Christ witness to somebody as you keep plowing that field. Let somebody's life be changed by the ministry that you're a part of because of how you're plowing through. Paul reminds us here that though we may think we are at the end of our rope over something, there is still hope in Jesus Christ. Don't look back. Don't look back. These vessels that we live in are subject to sin and suffering. There's no way around it. But God never abandons us. These vessels are subject to sin and suffering. But at in that moment when you're thinking, God, what do I need to do? Know that God has not abandon you. Because Jesus died on the cross, that grace that is made available to us gives us a path for salvation to eternal life. And that is the hope in Jesus Christ. We can't live without hope. We couldn't live, we couldn't keep plowing that field if we didn't have hope. So everything we go through is opportunity for God to demonstrate his power through our lives. We cannot do what God can do. We can't do what God can do. So Paul was giving his, giving his all in ministry, but could not complete it without God. So Paul is even telling, he's preaching to all these other churches. He's traveling places. He's giving his all. And Paul is, he's telling us this, but he's, so he's living it out also. And then in Acts 16, 16 through 26, we see Paul and Silas. They've committed their lives to the gospel. They're out plowing the field and they're being led by the spirit before they even make it into town. They're even detoured. These are, these are men of God. These are, these are people who are out working in ministry. And, and the Bible even describes before this before we get to these verses, that they came up to a city and the Spirit's telling them to go a different way, go a different direction, and, and they adhere to it. So here they are working uh, and being orchestrated by God. And verse 16, it says, And now it happened as we went to pray that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us. Met who? Met Paul and Silas, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them in prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the innermost prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. I, I got a, an idea that in just normal common sense or when, when you're feeling like things are going well and you're involved in ministry and you've just had a great Bible study or something else, you're not really planning on 
that next turn for something to just go completely haywire or flipped upside down. Here they are doing the work of God, just performed a miracle, and now they're beaten and in prison. So Paul and Silas, they're physically, emotionally, and at this point even spiritually drained, preaching the gospel and then finding themselves bleeding, beating, stuck in the innermost part of the jail with chains. So what do they do? Verse 25, they begin to worship, right? But at midnight, Paul and Silas, they kept plowing. Everybody said they kept plowing praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loose. They kept plowing no matter what the situation had taken a turn for them. Was God testing them? I don't know, but I know that we cannot let what's wrong with us keep us from what's right with God. Amen. Their situation wasn't easy, not at all, and none of us think that. But nothing is more difficult than praising God when nothing seems to be going right. Try it next time. It's not easy. We've all been there. But one of the purest forms of worship is praising God even when you don't feel like it because it proves that your worship is not circumstantial. You're saying a lot to God and you're saying a lot to yourself in that moment when you can push through and raise your hands. Today at the end of this service, whatever's going on in your life from something as simple but something that you've kept putting on every day at work to a big altering life situation, can you come down here and raise your hands and worship? Can you have that on your mind and begin to give God praise letting him know that this has been orchestrated by him and that he is going to provide. Musicians can start to make their way up. When I want to say today, when opposition faces you and disappointment buries you in the ground, remember that no one can destroy what God's accomplished through you. Even when you feel like it's pressing in on you or pushed up against you, that does not mean that that what God has done and worked through your life has been taken away. When you feel like you have no vision from God or you've lost your path with God, no enthusiasm left in your life, you think that no one is watching and no one is around to even encourage you anymore. I'm telling you to keep moving towards the grace of God that will carry you and keep you and take that next step. Feeling discouraged, find yourself in devotion with God and know God will equip you to take the next step. He's always got, he's not going to take the step for you, but we can do what? Look to him for strength. When we look to him, he's looking for steady perseverance. He's looking to see, to see, are they willing to keep their hand on the plow, even though this just got difficult, even though that what they thought they could get done seems a little bit bigger than what it was, and now they're not sure if they can finish. Will they keep plowing until I tell them to stop? Will they keep plowing until I give them the strength to finish it? No task is too great. No task is too small when it comes to the kingdom of God. Where are you at with your life group? Where are you at with teaching a Bible study to someone? Where are you at with volunteering in the ministries of the church? You might be discouraged. Maybe it wasn't going the way that you thought 
it was. I'm here today to say, keep plowing. Maybe it's not, it doesn't look like what it was. Maybe nobody said thank you to you. No one's even encouraged you. The people that are involved haven't said thank you. Keep plowing. Keep plowing. Maybe it's time to give to a certain need. Maybe it's time to fast the longest time you've ever fasted before. Maybe it's time to pray every day over that burden that God has given you. For you who could make a change today, can you come and accept the grace of God? For someone else, your life example could witness in a way you never thought was possible. Look to God today. Frustrated and discouraged. Maybe you've been serving or you've been, uh, maybe you've been a part of church. Not this church, but maybe you've just been a part of church and serving God for 20 years. And all of a sudden, you're asking yourselves what, what the purpose is. Maybe you're asking yourself why. Why am I still doing this if I can't get certain things right? Why am I still doing this because every ministry I get involved in doesn't work out the way? Maybe you're just confused today. I'm telling you that his eye is on the sparrow. I'm telling you that God's still looking down, sees you doing the work. God's the one that called you to it. If we could all stand I really feel like there are people here today struggling with something. As I've preached over this time, I really feel like that there's something that maybe you, like I said, you just kept putting it on and you thought, I'm just going to live with this. And I'm here to tell you today, you don't have to keep living with it. You don't have to keep this crutch. You don't have to keep limping your way through your relationship with God or in life. Could we just wait? On God here at the end of this service. You know what's twirling around in your mind. You know, though, that as you're standing here in the presence of God, that he has not forsaken you. You know that God is your provider. Somebody needs to look to God today. Somebody needs to continue to keep your hand on the plow. Somebody needs to just sing because you're happy. How could I be happy when I'm I feel this weight or as I'm processing this situation. Jesus said, blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Sounds confusing as Jesus spoke those words to people, but why were they comforted? Because they knew the comforter. If you know Jesus today, there's no reason to take your hand off that plow. What is it that you have to worry about? Keep plowing. God did not say this would be easy. He's looking for the committed today. Looking for those who will keep their hand on the plow. Somebody's desperate today. Are you willing to give up everything for what God has for you? As they begin to sing, I want to open this altar. I really want everyone to stop and and think today. I want you to come up here with something in mind, something that's really challenging you right now in life, but I want to open the altar right now. Come as you're thinking of that. Can you raise your hands? Can you raise your hands with this in mind and sing this song with joy in your heart, knowing that you know the comforter? 
Are you tired of carrying this situation? Do you need healing in your body? And you've walked up here multiple times and you're ready to stop plowing that field. What is it that challenges you? What is it that has you weighted down when you enter the presence of God or when you open your Bible to begin to do devotion? Can you come up here today with the mindset that our reward is eternity? Don't walk away from the field. Don't walk away from your relationship with God today. Don't let this thing hinder you anymore in your life. Could we cry out to God? This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.